0: I don't know if you've been blessed as much as I have to uh, <clears throat> to just have men like Nathan come up and share the word, and uh, if you're new, you know that we've kind of been going through the book of Proverbs. I've encouraged you men to read through the book of Proverbs, uh, just to gain the the wisdom of God that comes through that book. And if you look in your bulletin, um, there's that word to the wise, and it's written and all of it has to do with Proverbs this year, and I've asked men of our fellowship to to do a word to the wise and submit it, so we can put it in the bulletin. So it's coming from you, men out there. I've had a couple of women say, "Well, can I read? Can I submit?" It's like, no. <laughs> this is like the he-man, uh, woman haters club. <clears throat> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But serious, I just want men. Because, you know, the heart for, for the church here, my heart for the church is to challenge you men to to rise up, to step up, to to really truly desire the wisdom of God in your life for you personally, men. Because I know what it will do. It will translate into your family and you'll be a better husband and a better father. I know what it will do in your workplace as well because it will cause you to know what the Word of God says. And so I'm just excited because like Nathan, he, he, I just hit him up this morning if he would come up and read. He was so nervous in front of you guys. It's like, you guys are scary. You guys <laughs> truly are. And uh, But he did it, you know, because somebody else got cold feet and they couldn't do it. And so I called him a the little girl. And then we moved on, and I called on somebody else who wouldn't do that, <clears throat> but I was just so proud of Nathan, you know because he was re- really nervous and he did really, really well and uh I'm excited, you know, and you women you know you guys if I would have asked you guys to submit the word to the wise, I would have had three hundred the next day, because <laughs> you guys like the to, to right and guys man up that's that's my encouragement this morning, man. Because, again, um, I want to hear from, from, from you and what God's doing in your heart to to kind of come and read Proverbs and kind of gain that wisdom, okay? And uh, I want you guys to be praying for Jim. You know, he never sits down on a stool, man. His back is like killing him. And so, you know, uh, first service he, he did it, and this service he, he, he is really hurting for him to sit. And so let's pray for Jim, and then we'll get on to our, our service. Father, we just... Thank you and praise you, Lord God, already for what you're doing, Lord, and for the worship this morning. And I pray for my brother Jim, Lord. I thank you for his heart, Lord God, to bear up even under the pain, Lord God, to come and worship. And even during the songs, Lord God, a few of them, Lord, talked about just this earthly pain that we go through and, and things like that. And that you're able to give us strength, Lord. And I pray for my brother that you would touch him, touch his back and heal him, Lord. He needs your touch, Father. He loves to serve you like this, Lord. And I know it's hard for him just to sit there, Lord. And so we pray that you would just minister to our brother. And Lord, we do pray that you would bless your word even as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have heard the term within the Christian community and it went something like this. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. And it, it, it had to do with Materialism, um, and and how to kind of put things in perspective. But you know, you know that that term, um, well, you, you haven't really heard a lot of it this day and age. But when I first got saved, thirty some years ago, it was a popular term. It, it, you know, we people were just going. It's all going to burn. And oftentimes, I'm sure it was because somebody had something that they envied. It's like oh, that thing's going to burn anyways. Or there were some Christians who had just gotten something and they kind of like felt bad that they kind of spent a lot of money and other people couldn't afford it. And so they would like, it's going to burn anyways. But in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy it, you know, <laughs> type stuff. But, um, but it, it, it was a lot more popular back then. You know, it's not as popular today, that, that, that theme you know, or that, that term that is going to burn. And I, th- I was thinking about that because it probably died out a couple decades ago. Um, But I was thinking that a a lot of the hippies were the ones that were kind of sharing that, you know, and and I think, you know, probably, you know, a lot of those hippies grew up and they started acquiring stuff and they got used to the materialism and they didn't use it quite as much as they used to. But I really don't understand why that term burned out. Um, If anything, that term should be more on fire today than any other time in history. Because we are much closer to the day of judgment that is reserved for fire than ever before. as we've kind of been looking in Second Peter here. You see, there's, there's this expectation, this anticipation, this expectancy that, that when the Lord returns, it will result in judgment with fire. And we talked a little bit about that last week, and we will talk more about it today of the judgment that will come with fire. Ever since God brought judgment on the earth with water, with the flood, it was right after the flood that that God promised Noah that he would never judge the earth that same way with, with water ever again. And he gave Noah a, a covenant, a sign, if you will, that he would never do it like that again. And he gave us the rainbow. And the rainbow was a seal, was a covenant that he would never judge the world again with water. Now, we we have floods here and there throughout the world. But nothing to that extreme, nothing to that catastrophic, you know, that that, that would encompass the whole globe. No, we have areas that that might happen in, but never again will God do it like that. And it has been written throughout Scripture that the next time God brings judgment on this earth, it will be with intense and fervent heat, i.e. fire. It will be hot. <laughs> the God who created water is the same God that creates fire. And he used water for judgment. And he will use fire. and He is not afraid to use the fire that will come upon the earth later on it is quite possible that we stopped using the term it's all going to burn in this generation of christians in a sense because again i think some christians have gotten disillusioned after walking with the lord with the long period of time that they used to like use that term but now they've gotten comfortable because jesus hasn't come back And they're thinking, well, he's probably never going to come back in my lifetime. And so we become more and more materialistic in our ways. And so, you know, we love our stuff. We don't want to say it's going to burn, it's going to disappear. We want to use it and have fun with it. And so I kind of have a feeling that we stopped using that because we got comfortable. But what kind of persons ought we to be? Knowing what we know about the judgment to come. That is the question that Peter asks in this portion of scripture that we're going to be looking at. And this question we need to be asking ourselves as well. Knowing what we know. Understanding what the word of God says about the judgment to come. What kind of people are we supposed to be? What is our responsibility in this present age knowing what we know? What are we supposed to do with what we know? Especially about the judgment that's to come. What manner of people are we to be? So we're our, we are in first or second Peter chapter three. We have one more study in this chapter. Next week will be our last study in this in this book. And we will cover from verse ten to verse thirteen this morning, but let's start in verse one. It says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the command of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded, With water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, which because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Going back to verse 10, and we're going to spend most of our time in verse 10, but we will get to verse 13. But it talks about here, uh, he mentions the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord, he says, the day of the Lord is different from the rapture. Some of you guys are familiar with those two terms, the rapture and the day of the Lord. The rapture or in the rapture, Jesus will not come to earth. It will it, it will not be a touchdown here on earth. The Bible tells us in First in Thessalonians chapter four that that the believers will meet the Lord and those who come with him in the air. And that is the key. Because that is what the rapture is all about, that we will meet the Lord in the air. The, the, the believers will be snatched up and, and, and meet in the air. Um, also, the rapture is not the second coming of Christ, nor is it the day of the Lord. These two are two separate events that happen. The, the rapture, again, deals with the church. It deals with believers. And the day of the Lord deals with those who are not. Everybody else that is not part of his church, that is not has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. OK, so so you've got to make that distinction that the rapture is different from the day of the Lord. It's different from the second coming. We can't confuse the two. Jesus came to the earth the first time, his first advent to save mankind from sin, from his sin. The Bible tells us that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came to give people life, those who receive Him. The second coming, His second advent, He comes to judge mankind for His sin. He comes in judgment the second time around. The nation of Israel has been set aside. It has, it has been set aside. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and he wept over the city of Jerusalem saying, if you had only known that today was your day, but you've missed out. At that time period, he set Israel aside and the church age began. And so he, he does that. But he will once again deal with the nation of Israel. And he will ne- deal with the nation of Israel when the church age is over, when the rapture occurs. Once the rapture occurs, then he will begin to deal with the nation of Israel once again. The word rapture in the, in the Greek is harpazo. When, when you hear that word harpazo, because you'll never see the word rapture in the Bible, but you see the words caught up. And the words caught up is harpazoed. And in the Latin, you get the Latin word rapturos from harpazoed. But be that as it may, when the church is taken out of the way, as well as the Holy Spirit, then it is after that time that the time of tribulation will start. A seven-year period. Now, the seven-year period, the first three and a half years, Years of the seven-year period, three and a half years, is called the tribulation time. The second half of that is the great tribulation, where it, it, it will be just disastrous here on earth. And so it is after that time that the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord will begin. And I use the word begin because it is a period of time. Unlike the rapture, which is an event that happens spontaneously, instantly, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, it is a one-time deal that happens that quick, whereas the day of the Lord basically starts at the end of the Great Tribulation, and it it, 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 it ends at the Great Tribulation with the Battle of Armageddon, which isn't really a big battle if you really look at it i mean i know they've made movies about armageddon and stuff but it's not going to be much of a fight i mean the the world will will gather their forces and they will like get ready to fight against god and and jesus is going to come with all the saints and and he's just going to speak the word and they're going to be fried it's going to happen that quick before the credits even begin to roll it's going to be over that's that's the way that movie should have gone because again, he is going to say the word and he will annihilate those who are fighting against him. And so at the finish of the great tribulation with the battle of Armageddon, that's when the day of the Lord begins. And it will finish at the end of the millennium time. The thousand year reign of Christ here on earth. That's when the the, in, uh, the end of the day of the Lord will happen with the destruction of the heavens and the earth. When the Apostle Paul spoke about the day of the Lord, and he talked about a thief in the night, he was talking about the beginning of the day of the Lord. Whereas Peter here, what we're looking at here, this portion of scripture, Peter is looking at the end of the day of the Lord. First, Thessalonians chapter 5 and you can make your way over there because I'm going to read a portion of it. That portion of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, gives us a great example of what the day of the Lord will look like in a sense and how it doesn't affect the believer but it affects those who will see the wrath of God. So if you will, turn over there if you're not there already, if you'd like. But listen to how Paul puts these, the the words here, because if you go a little before, and I'll read um, First uh, Thessalonians 4:17. Notice how when he is talking about the believer and the rapture, he's talking about we. When he starts talking about the day of the Lord, he begins to use the word they. And so, in verse 17 of chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, it says, "But we who are alive and remain." shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Verse 1 of chapter 5. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so as this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as though as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Here we get this picture of when He is talking to the believer, He says, so when we are caught up together in the air, he's, he's saying this is what's going to happen with us. Those who are still alive and are believers, we will meet the Lord in the air. But those people, they, who, 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 who are not part of the church, they will be taken by surprise. And it's interesting because Peter or Paul says here, he says, you don't need for me to write to you about these things but it does, because it doesn't affect you. Now, it's good that we know about these things because he does tell us in verse 13, don't be ignorant about these kinds of things. We should know about these things. But the day of the Lord will not affect us. It's not going to take us by surprise like a thief would. We are to know about these things. And so he's saying these are the things that that you need to know. But when these people are claiming peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come, come upon them. And it's almost like these people will feel the wrath of God. And as believers, we have not been called, like it says, or or appointed to wrath, like it says in verse 9. But we have been, uh, we have obtained salvation through Jesus Christ. As believers, we may be chastened, we may be disciplined by the Lord, but we will never feel His wrath. His wrath is reserved for those who don't know Him. And so there's that vast difference. And verse 9 is a key for us who believe that we are not appointed to wrath. We as a church believe that we will be raptured out before any kind of tribulation starts like that. Oh, we will go through different tribulation, but not what has been explained in the scriptures as the great tribulation. And so we believe that we will be raptured before any of that happens. I guess you could call us pre-tribbers. If you ever hear that that term and people ask you, what are you? Well, don't take my word, you study it and see what the Lord tells you. Because again, those who are of the light are not to be drunk. We are to be watchful. We are to be vigilant. Those who are of the darkness could care less and it's going to take them by surprise. And so again, this is where we get our theology for being pre trib both the beginning and the end will take those um, affected by the day of the Lord by surprise as a thief. They will not be expecting it. Why? Because they're not even watching for it. At the beginning or at the end. Nobody really wants somebody to come in and break into their house or their car. If you knew that a thief would be coming around, you'd be way more watchful, more vigilant. More vigilant. To stop it from happening. And it's interesting because Jesus even warned the, cha- the nation of Israel. In Matthew chapter 24 verses 43 and 44. And the same story in Luke 12. 30, 39 and 40. Telling them about the thief that would come. And he tells them to be watchful. To be ready. Because the Son of Man comes as a thief. Unexpectedly. We're not to be ignorant of these things, the Bible says. It is at the end of the day of the Lord, when Satan will be let out of the bottomless pit. After being in there for a thousand years, during the whole reign of Christ here on earth, Satan will be bound. And it is at the end of that time period that he is released. And he will come and deceive the nations even after all these years that Jesus has ruled and reigned on this earth. And once again, there will be people who follow after that, after the enemy, after the deceiver. And final judgment will come as a thief in the night. At which time, at the end there, at which time the heavens will pass away. And the world, as we know it, will cease to exist. There are many people who talk about the end of the world. Not just in the Christian community, but there are people who are now thinking, their minds are thinking, there is the end that is coming. People are are becoming more and more aware of that. But that will not take place until after the thousand year reign of Christ. So this world cannot be destroyed until the thousand-year reign of Christ. In, in Revelation 20:11 it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and he who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Revelation 21, 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. Most describe this time. That that, that all of that is destroyed. Where the elements will melt with fervent heat. Most believe that this is where God just takes his hand off the atoms. And just lets everything dissolve. Come to nothing. God will take away that, that atomic glue that holds atoms together. He will take it out. He's the one that, that, that causes everything to consist and, and, and to exist. And when when he decides it's time, he will take his hands off of it and everything will dissolve and melt. I read this from Warren Wiersbe, a commentator that I read all the time. And here's a quote that he says about this portion. He says, Many Bible students believe that Peter uh, here describes the action of atomic energy being released by God. The word translated a great noise in the King James Version means with a hissing and crackling and a crackling sound. When the atomic bomb was tested in the Nevada desert, more than one reporter said that the explosion gave forth a whirling sound or a crackling sound. The Greek word Peter uses was commonly used by the people of a whirling of the whirling of birds wings or the hissing of a snake. That's how eerie it sounds. This this atomic energy that is just kind of released and all of a sudden things began to dissolve. This is where the term, it's all going to burn, comes from, right here. That it is all going to burn. In the end, everything, all of man's great works will be burnt up or laid waste, is another translation, or laid bare. The Greek word that can be used here is the word that we use, catastrophic or catastrophe where the world, it will be a worldwide devastation. It won't just take place in one particular area of the world. No, it will take place throughout the entire globe. Everything that man boasts about, his great cities, his great buildings, his great inventions, his great achievements, will all be done away with. Everything, everything will be destroyed. There will be nothing exempt everything will just dissolve. And when sinners stand before the great white throne judgment of God, they will have nothing, absolutely nothing to point to of their achievements or evidence of their greatness. They will stand there naked, bare, with nothing else but their souls. Everything else will be gone. There will be nothing left. Because it's all going to burn. It will not be man who destroys this planet. I've shared that with you. Man is not capable of destroying this planet as many environmentalists are teaching today. You see, man is not capable of doing that. Oh, we can mess up areas of this world. (laughs) We, 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 we We can destroy certain aspects of our environment but there is no way that man himself will destroy this entire planet. He just can't. He is not capable of doing that. If we had a nuclear war, and every nation who has nuclear power or weapons unleashed their arsenal, I'll give you this piece of advice if that happens. Run to it. Don't, don't run away from it. Because you're going to get dissolved anyways. like, oh, let me just... Let me just get it over with. Just a little piece of advice in case it happens. But even if they unleashed every ounce of nuclear weaponry that they may have, guess what is going to happen? The earth will continue to spin. Because even this nuclear power and warfare cannot destroy this world. Even if they all push the button at the same time, God, the creator, is the only one that can truly push the button to destroy all of it. Or should I say, take his finger off the button and then just let it all dissolve. That's how powerful he is. He holds everything together by his word. And at his word, he will let everything dissolve. That's how powerful he is. Okay, let's move on to verse 11. Oh yeah, we have a little bit of time. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, (laughs) since all of this is is going to happen, the Amplified puts that portion and says, since all these things are thus in the process of being dissolved. (laughs) It's interesting because as we've been talking about this disaster, this judgment that's going to come as far-fetched as it may sound, you know, because some people are like, Really? It's going to happen like that? No way. That can't happen. It can't. It's like, okay, the Word of God says it. So it will happen. God has promised that He will bring judgment upon this earth. God is not slack concerning His promise. God does not threaten. It's like, if you guys don't fly right, I'm going to do this. It's like, no, He promises. And His promises do come to pass. They will They always have been. And as we have been looking at verse 10, with all that we have looked at here, that, what we have saw, what we have seen there, should not move us to speculation or to theories or to guesswork of how it's going to happen, when is it going to happen, who's going to be involved. Even though we need to know a lot of those things, it should not motivate us to like, let's just speculate about this whole stuff. No, what we know about verse 10 and what we've looked at it, it should serve as a motivation for us to consider what is our responsibility now that we know that. How are we to live? How are we ought to, or how, what kind, what manner of, of persons ought we to be knowing what verse 10 is telling us, knowing what the beginning of verse eleven says that everything will be dissolved. What is our responsibility? Knowing the prophetic word is great. Knowing the 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 day of the Lord and how it's going to to, to turn out is great. Understanding the outcome, but none of those things should inspire us to be some kind of mad scientist who is planning the end of the world and is like. <laughs> destruction. (laughs) That's not our attitude. We should not be looking at people as like, turn or burn, you know? If you don't turn, you're going to burn. And yet, so many people will come across like that, kind of even gloating in the fact that other people will be destroyed. It should motivate us to have more of a a compassionate heart. It should motivate us to conduct ourselves, like Peter says here, in a holy and godly manner. Understanding that if it wasn't for the salvation that we have received, we would be facing the same fate as they would, the same destiny and the same doom as people who have no hope. But He has given us a hope. And because He has given us a hope, what kind of persons ought we to be? Knowing what we know. To be gloaters? People that are gloating over somebody's destruction? No, absolutely not. The reason that we are to conduct ourselves, behave ourselves in a godly or, or, or holy manner is because people are watching us. And if we are those turn or burn kind of people, if we are these hellfire and brimstone on you, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, they're looking at us going, man, maybe I'd be better off in hell than with you in heaven. If that's the case, if all, all Christians are like that. No, we're to conduct ourselves in a godly and holy manner because it's quite possible that we can influence other people's lives to desire what we have received the future that we have, we should want for other people. We should not be saying, hey, well, I'm in, so the rest of you guys, if you guys want to go for it. No, our hearts should be breaking for people who are doomed to to, to judgment like that. I mean, it's pretty hardcore what we're reading here of how it's all going to end. And if we know that, how are we to live? We are to have this, this desire for other people to come to know Jesus. Our focus should be for the future. Not for the destruction. But because we are looking for that new heaven and that new earth. We're wanting to influence as many people to come and experience that new heaven and that new earth that is being talked about. Looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord. We we, we, we are not to be looking for and hastening the coming so that we could see the destruction. No, we should be looking for and hastening the return because that is where righteousness dwells. That should be our heart, man, that that we get to see the righteousness and experience the true righteousness How can we hasten, as it says here, how can we hasten the coming of the Lord? How can we uh, speed things up? By sharing the gospel, I believe. That's the only way. By sharing the gospel with those who who are doomed, that somehow they might come to salvation through repentance. You see, there's a time called the fullness of the Gentiles, spoken of. In in, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. And that's talking about when the last Gentile is saved, then the rapture will occur. Only God knows who it is and when it will happen. Now, if you're here this morning, (laughs) uh, maybe it's you and maybe we can get out of here. But there's a time coming when the fullness of the Gentiles will take place. And all this will be done and it will get the ball rolling. And that's why, or that's the only way we can really speed things up here. To be able to see the Lord's return. We can only do what we have been called to do while we are here on this earth. And that is conduct ourselves in a holy and godly manner. That's what manner of persons we ought to be. On on, on top of all that, we have the promise of God that we get to expect for eternity. We have the promises already. He's already revealed to us. We get to look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where only righteousness will dwell. And we will be among the righteousness of Jesus. He is the righteousness of God. And we can experience that only because of Jesus. The only way to experience this new heaven and this new earth is if the old heavens and the old earth are burnt up and passed away. It's the only way. And so why a new heaven and a new earth, you may ask? Because the first heaven and the first earth have been tainted with sin. They've been polluted with sin. And some of you might be thinking, Well, I understand that about earth, but heaven? heaven is tainted it's like yeah that's where satan started his pride that's where pride welled up within satan and also if you don't know this satan still has access in heaven it tells us in job that he still has to answer to god (laughs) and so this this being still has access and so at one point the heavens and the earth will be dissolved everything that we think about and and know about it's all going to change it's all going to be different I don't know exactly how it's going to look, but it's going to be different. You see, after the white throne judgment, those who are not found in the book of life will get their due. They will be cast into outer darkness, into the lake of fire. And it's after that that everything becomes new. I like this last portion in verse 13 as we close up here. It says, in which righteousness dwells. That should be what we really want. The only thing we want is to dwell in righteousness. Where righteousness dwells, that is Jesus Christ. He is the righteousness of God. You see, we get to experience righteousness today in Christ, as the book of Ephesians tells us. That's a plug for Thursday nights. The theme in Christ. We get to experience that righteousness today. But then we get to experience it face to face. That's going to be totally different. Man, we get to experience who Jesus is today because he lives in our lives and we have to experience it by faith, which is awesome. But one day where righteousness dwells and we are there, we get to see it face to face and there's nothing like it. I think it's going to be incredible. We should be looking for that day. You know, most people who, who are going to have to experience the day of the Lord, they're not looking forward to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not an exciting time for the people that have to go through it. If you read through the Old Testament, many of the times that it talks about the, the day of the Lord is like, you just don't want to be around it. I mean, when we talk about the rapture, it's like, rapture me now, I want to go right now, man, that's awesome. We look forward to the rapture. Some of you guys are going, yeah, before my next bills come in. Please, Lord, take me out of here. In <laughs> that kind of excitement, the day of the Lord is different. Not an exciting time. And so, while we are here on earth, and we still have breath, and there's people around us that still have breath, and they're not promised tomorrow. What kind of people are we? What kind of people ought we to be? Knowing what we know. I believe that we should be compassionate people because of all the compassion that has been shown to us by the Lord. I think that we should be kind people because of all the kindness that has been shown to us. I think we need to be merciful people because we have received so much of God's mercy. I think we need to be loving people because of all the love that we have received from God. You see, we've received all that. That's the kind of people we should be towards other people. That's, that's the kind of people we ought to be. Because we know what we know. The scriptures have shared with us those things. And for those who don't know Christ, there's a judgment that's coming. That's for real. I mean, you, you can pretend that it doesn't exist but it doesn't change the fact that God has written in his word and has promised it and it will happen and you will not be exempt from it. And I want to encourage you that if you don't know Christ, you need to come to him or else you will experience this judgment that, that, that we've been kind of looking at. And I'm not here to scare you, but man, if I could scare you, I'll scare you because it's for real. God, God doesn't play games with this. You see, God has already made this promise and it doesn't matter if you believe it or not about judgment. It will happen. And He has offered salvation to you. He has already paid the price for your judgment by sending His Son to die on the cross. And He paid for your judgment. See, that's why as believers, we're not worried about the judgment to come. Because our sins have already been judged through Jesus Christ. And we put our faith in Him because He's so good to us. You see, the price has been paid and all you have to do is is respond to that. I can't make you become a Christian. If I can make you become a Christian, somebody else will make you not become a Christian. So, again, it's your responsibility. My responsibility is to share what I've shared with you. And as believers, that's our responsibility to share the gospel, the good news. Oh, tell them about what's coming. But the great news is there's eternal life today. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer. If you're not a Christian this morning and you need that, I want to give you that opportunity even as we pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord God, for your precious promises, Lord, that, that you have given to us, Lord. That give us the truth, Lord. That give us everything that we need. Lord, as much as we can tell people that Jesus loves them, and that is a true statement, the the, the other part of it is that there's a judgment coming without Jesus. And I pray that even this morning, Lord, if there's any that are here this morning that need you, that this morning, Lord God, they would come to you in a powerful way to receive the forgiveness of sin. Lord, you already came to judge their sin and all they have to do is receive it, Lord. Lord, if they don't turn, Lord God, they they are doomed to a fate that will not turn out good. And so I pray for them right now. If that's you this morning, if you're here this morning and you know that you don't know Jesus in your life and you need that in your life, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. And it's not the prayer that saves you, it's your heart. He sees the heart. Is there anybody here who needs Jesus in their life? Just raise your hand and just say, I, I, I need that. I don't want that judgment. Is there anybody? Guys, don't take it lightly. It's serious business. Is there anybody? Father, I do pray, God, that you would just minister to those who may be here who are afraid to do that. That Satan has bound them so much, Lord. And I pray that you would break those chains from those people and free them, Father. I know that they don't have to do it here, Lord. But please, Lord, I pray that they would. I pray for my brothers and sisters who know the truth, who have accepted you, Lord God, who know about the judgment to come and they've they've escaped that. I pray that their hearts would be to minister to other people, to share with others what you have shared with them, that they too, Lord God, may be used of you in a powerful way to bring others, to influence others to walk with you. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would lift them up, Lord. Father, please, Lord, watch over them. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.